Hello everyone. This is part six of our dental hygiene board review. And in this session, we're going to go over infection control. I took this portion of infection control from student RDH. And it's two pages, so this shouldn't be very long. All right, <clears throat> modes of transmission. You have direct contact. Molecules are spread from fluids directly through mucosal membrane or non-intact skin, such as mono and HIV. Bloodborne transmission. This is from uh, through direct contact. OSHA provides rules to protect employees from bloodborne pathogens such as HIV and hep hepatitis. I believe we'll get more into that later. Then we have indirect contact. <clears throat> this is where you don't, you're not actually touching uh, the client, but it's where molecules spread from infectious agent through object, person, air, vehicles, or vector. A vehicle is a food, water, blood, or uh, anything that can carry an infectious agent. A vector is a mosquito, flea, tick, anything small and alive that carries the infectious agent. Um, um, airborne transmission is also a thing. Transmitted through coughing, sneezing, and fine mists of water. And aerosols, uh, power scalers produce an aerosol. TB, measles, and chickenpox are all transmitted through airborne transmission. Now we're going to talk about the chain of infection. You have to have a pathogen and then a portal of exit slash source, then a mode of transmission, portal of entry, and a susceptible new host to be able to spread <clears throat> a disease through the chain of infection. Next, we have standard precaution. Standard precaution is where you treat every patient the same, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. You treat them the same way because uh, one person might have HIV, another person might not have any issues, but you really don't have any way of knowing unless they tell you themselves. And some people, I feel like, are just too scared um, to tell you the truth, especially if they just find out. <clears throat> so, so, it's just standard precaution to treat all of your patients the same. Um, PPE is your protective uh, stuff that you put on. And... It protects the operator. So you want to put that on a certain way. First, your gown. Then your mask. Then your eyewear. Then you wash your hands and put your gloves on. The CDC states the most important measure for preventing the spread of pathogens is through washing your hands. Hand sanitizer must be 60 to 95% alcohol to be effective. 
immunizations, we as healthcare providers must have Hep B, flu, varicella, measles, mumps, polio, rubella, tetanus um, immunizations. And water lines can become colonized with molecules, so you are supposed to flush them for 20 to 30 seconds between patients and two full minutes at the beginning and the end of the day. Now we're going to talk about <clears throat> cleaning. Cleaning is the first step of any disinfection. It removes matter that interferes with disinfection. Sterilization is a destruction of all microorganisms, including spores, by physical or chemical means. Sterile means free from all living microorganisms. A sterilant produces such effect. A disinfection, this has a residual effect, so it works even after it dries. It destroys pathogen, pathogens and other kinds of microorganisms by physical or chemical means. Disinfection is less lethal than sterilization, so it doesn't kill everything. Like, it doesn't kill spores. <clears throat> Disinfectant, which is part of disinfection, um, is a germicide used on inanimate objects, such as the floors, walls, sinks, to destroy all recognized pathogenic microorganisms, but not necessarily all bacterial endospores. Qualities of an ideal disinfectant is broad spectrum, fast acting, non-toxic, compatible with materials, odor free, and easy to use. So that's a disinfectant. Next is an antiseptic. Antiseptic is a germicide used on skin or living tissue. So this is like alcohol, chlorhexidine, triclosan, that it, you know, it kills some microorganisms without harming the skin, the, the living being. A high-level disinfectant. This is an FDA-regulated disinfectant. It inactivates bacteria, mycobacteria, fungi, and viruses, but not necessarily high numbers of bacterial spores. High-level disinfectants kills M. tuberculosis. It is used on medical devices, but not on environmental surfaces such as floors. So high-level disinfectant used on <coughs> um, medical devices, but not on floors. Intermediate-level disinfectant is an EPA-registered hospital disinfectant with tuberculocidal claim. It inactivates bacteria, majority of fungi, and majority of viruses, particularly enveloped viruses, but not bacterial spores. It does kill in tuberculosis, commonly used for environmental surfaces, but it does not contact patients directly. <laughs> so this is like bleach. Low-level disinfectant are also EPA 
registered hospital disinfectants without tuberculocidal claim. It inactivates a majority of bacteria, fungi, and viruses, but cannot be relied upon to inactivate resistant microorganisms. Does not inactivate in tuberculosis or spores. So a low-level disinfectant example is alcohol-free, quaternary ammonium compound, or regular household disinfectants. So just to briefly go through that again, a high-level disinfectant is regulated by the FDA. It kills uh, and activates bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Not spores, though. And this one kills M. tuberculosis and used on medical devices. The intermediate level disinfectant is EPA registered. Um, it kills tuberculosis. <clears throat> and that's commonly used for environmental services. So this is like bleach is an intermediate level. And then the low level is stuff that you can use at home, like just regular household disinfectants, because it does not kill tuberculosis. And <clears throat> it, it can't be relied upon to kill the really resistant microorganisms. Critical item. This is an item that is at high risk for infection. It, it's an item that penetrates soft tissue, bone, or contacts the bloodstream, such as curettes, needles, surgical burrs. This requires heat sterilization. Then we have not, or semi-critical items. These are items that are at a lower risk for infection. They contact mucous membranes, non-intact skin, but will not penetrate soft tissue. So this is like radiographic film holders, mirrors, and reusable trays. This requires high-level disinfection or heat sterilization. So you can use high-level disinfectant or heat sterilization. It doesn't have to be heat sterilization. You can clean it with your high-level disinfectant. And then next is the non-critical item. It contacts intact skin, but not mucous membranes. So an example is blood pressure cuff or x-ray tube head. It requires an intermediate or low-level disinfectant. Next is the clinical surface. It does not touch patients directly and has limited risk of disease transmission, such as the light handles, uh, light switches, pens, countertops, drawer handles. You can clean these surfaces with a low or intermediate level disinfectant after each patient. Housekeeping surface does not touch patient directly and has Limited risk of disease transmission. This is like the floors and sinks. These can be decontaminated with detergent and water only. I don't think our school was ever cleaned. <laughs> um, surfactant loosens, emulsifies, and holds organisms in suspension. 
so as to be more readily rinsed away. That's good to know. <sighs> okay, now we're going to talk about the sterilizers. There are, there's a, there's like six on here. The first three are the most important. So steam, this is a moist sterilizer. Uh, it's an autoclave. Spores are used to test the effectiveness of it because they are very hard to kill. It acts like a pressure chamber, operates on high temperatures, steam, and strong vacuums. And that's what makes it possible for them to kill the spores. That's why they test um, to, to make sure that the sterilizer is working with spores because they're very hard to kill and this form of sterilizer can actually kill it. The problem with this is corrosion is possible. Next is dry heat. Very, very high temps, no corrosion. Instruments maintain a sharp edge, but it's not for plastic or rubber items and no hand pieces. No hand pieces in the steam autoclave either. Next is the unsaturated chemical vapor. It heats a chemical solution, alcohol and formaldehyde, in a pressurized chamber. It's adequate ventilation in offices required to do chemicals. There's no corrosion as compared to water steam, and it keeps the edges sharp. Um, the next one <coughs> says flash cycle. This is where instruments are sterilized, unwrapped, only for emergency situations. Yeah, typically you're going to wrap up the instruments in something before you sterilize it. So a flash cycle, it's an emergency situation. You, you got to do this, that, and the other, but you don't have uh, a bag to put the instruments in. So that's what you would use. Cold sterilization. Now this takes a really long time. Cold sterilization takes about 10 hours uh, where the items soak for that time in a sterilant slash disinfectant where like a steam autoclave, that's only gonna take you um, <clears throat> like 45 minutes. Ethyl oxide, this is a gas method. It's used in hospitals. Um, says room temperature for 10 to 15 hours, then must be aerated for 24 hours after sterilization. That's a really long time. So I'm guessing this one's not very popular. It's at the bottom of the list. And I just wanna briefly hit on microorganisms. It says bacteria. It says most are harmless or beneficial. Only pathogenic bacteria are harmful. Molecules smaller than bacteria require living hosts to multiply, such as viruses. Common bacterial infections, because they want us to know what's a bacterial infection, what's a viral infection. So common bacterial infections are streptococcal, pharyngitis, and scarlet fever. Uh, this is from the streptococcus pyogenes. Syphilis, this is from Treponema pallidum, tuberculosis from Mycobacterium tuberculosis. And then some of the viruses, a virus is a non-living organism smaller than bacteria, requires a living host to multiply. 
whether it's a human, plant, or an animal. So some of the viral infections or viral diseases are AIDS or HIV, hepatitis, primary herpetic gingivostomotitis, herpes simplex virus, recurrent herpes, herpes simplex virus, hand, foot, and mouth disease from the Coxsackie virus, hairy leukoplakia from the Epstein-Barr virus, Infectious mononucleosis from the Epstein-Barr virus. Chickenpox from varicella zoster virus, also shingles from the same. Um, measles from the rubella virus, and then you have mumps from I don't know what virus. But this is what, uh, in micro, if you followed me through all the way to the end of it, this is what I was talking about whenever I said that it wants us to, to be able to understand the difference between a bacteria and a virus. And lastly, we're going to talk about the agencies to know, which I think we covered in ethics, oh, excuse me, ethics and jurisprudence as well, but it's just important to know. The CDC is the Center for Disease Control. This is a federal public health agency. It focuses on infectious disease and provides information regarding infection control. And it also does research. The NIOSH, this is the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. The federal institute that makes recommendations for the prevention of work-related injury. We have OSHA. This is a regulating agency with enforcement of safety and health of employees. It develops workplaces standards to ensure safe working environments, and it issues bloodborne protocol standards. Next, you have the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency. This is a federal agency charged with protection of human health and the environment. It regulates disinfectants and regulates waste, controlled safety of the drinking water, uh, dental amalgam, oil, and air pollution. The FDA is the Food and Drug Administration. It's a federal agency responsible for the safety, efficiency, and security of food, meds, products that emit radiation, and etc. It regulates package labeling for amalgam and dental radiography, regulates liquid chemical sterilants and high-level disinfectants used on semi-critical and critical patient care devices, it approves sterilizers, biologic and chemical indicators, ultrasonics, clear cleaning solutions, sterilants, gloves, masks, eyewear, handpiece instruments, unit light, and dental chairs. And those words are not really combined. There was commas in between, but apparently I didn't see them. And then OSAP, this is an organization for safety, asepsis, and prevention. It's a nonprofit organization for dentistry that promotes infection control. It also provides resources. And HIPAA, this is a Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Um, national standards to protect in individuals' medical records and other important health information requires appropriate safeguards to protect patients. Also gives patients rights over their health information and the rights to obtain copies of health records. 
So that was the notes that I had, and I think a lot of it came from student RDH. So this is from the Chicago book. Um, that's just what we call it because they do a seminar, and Chicago is the closest city near my area. So we call it the Chicago book. It's not really what it's called. Um, so we'll just talk about this briefly. Infection control, which talk about this briefly is my favorite thing to say for some reason, but infection control, regulated biohazard waste, must be disposed of properly. Examples of regulated waste include sharps, items that drip of saturated blood and or saliva, and hard and soft tissues removed from the patient's mouth. Um, personal protective equipment, or PPE, they are barriers used uh, to protect the operator. And... The purpose of the PPE, which I'm not going to go over because we've already done it, um, provides barriers to minimize exposure to aerosols, which is an invisible airborne particles that remain in the air for a while. Splatter, which is visible airborne particles of blood or saliva. They end up dropping quickly to the floor and countertops. Provides barriers against direct transmission, which occurs through directly touching an infectious agent, like saliva or blood. And indirect transmission also protects through items that have become contaminated, like a mirror. Disinfection. Disinfectants kill or inactivate most pathogenic microbes, but not spores. So disinfectants have to be uh, rapidly acting, broad-spectrum, antimicrobial, bactericidal, fungicidal, tuberculocidal, and virucidal. Odorless, easy to use, fast-acting, economical, environmental and service compatible, uh, residual effect where it continues to work after it's dried, non-toxic to touch or inhale, EPA-registered, Clean and disinfect. This is more detailed. The types of agents of a disinfectant. We have chlorine-based compounds. But, as you know, chlorine is very strong in odor. It And it's corrosive to metals. Iodophores. These uh, can discolor some surfaces a yellow color. Phenols, they are water or alcohol based. They may leave a film or residue on surfaces. Um, Quaternary compounds, they are not corrosive, but they have a lower kill spectrum. So you have a limited efficacy. And we have a note here. It says glutaraldehydes should not be used as a surface disinfectant because of toxic, toxic to, because of toxic effects of fumes, and it's also corrosive. So here, let's talk about the levels of surface disinfectants. We have high, intermediate, and low. High is used in surgical areas. Intermediate is used in dental offices. Must kill TB organism. 
and we have low, which is generally used at home, not acceptable for use in a dental office. So I like how this, it just, it's the same information as we already talked about, but it's presented in a different way. Um, all right, sterilization. It kills all pathogenic microbes, including spores. And then the methods of sterilization, we have uh, uses heat or chemicals. And then it gets into it. So a chemical sterilizer is the recommended minimum temperature is 273 degrees Fahrenheit for 20 minutes. Ventilation is necessary because it's chemical, so you, know, you don't want to be breathing it in. It may damage rubber and plastic items. And they use a spore test. Then we have dry heat, which is 340 for one hour or 320 for two hours. This is recommended for metal instruments. It says avoid paper products. May damage rubber and plastic items. Not recommended for hand pieces. And it uses a spore test as well. And then we have steam, which is like what we use most of the time. Um, recommended minimum sterilization parameters. 250 degrees Fahrenheit with 15 or 20 pounds per square inch for 30 minutes. We did it for 45 in my AHEC office. This corrodes non-stainless steel instrument. It can dull instruments and burrs. It's okay for some plastics, cotton rolls, gauze, cloth goods. Why would they sterilize cotton rolls and gauze? Um, paper packages come out wet and they tear. This is regulated by a spore test as well. Preparation for sterilization. You want to clean the instruments in an ultrasonic cleaner first and then put the instruments in a single layer in the autoclave and use proper ventilation. External indicators, tape or printed on packaging materials that change color only indicate instruments have been heat processed. Sterility is not guaranteed. The only way to test the sterility is with the spores. The biological ind indicator spore testing should be conducted weekly to determine if sterilization cycle is reaching proper temperature, time, and pressure to kill all microorganisms. So application to boards, you want to be able to give examples of regulated biohazard waste Note each sterilization method, including time, temperature, and pressure. That's a little too much. Identify the spore test used with each sterilization method. I think that's excessive as well. Identify the types of materials and instruments recommended with each sterilization method. Okie dokie. I do believe that this concludes infection control.